0: The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Today FM. Lots of movies to get through with Brian Lloyd from entertainment.ie. Tell me about Magic Mike's Last Dance because I'd imagine there's an audience with this.
1: Oh, there is, yeah. And like, to be fair, I mean, as much as we're kind of like sniggering at this, this is a, these are actually very, very enjoyable films. Like, I saw the first two for work and they were great fun and I had a great time watching them. And, you know... You might kind of think, oh, wait, they're stripper movies, but they actually generally tend to have quite an interesting kind of um, dynamic and themes to them. So what's going on in this one is is uh, Mike, played by Channing Tatum. At the end of the last film, he had set up a furniture business, had kind of left his stripping days behind him. Um, But the pandemic kind of blew that all out of the water. Now he's tending bar, kind of cut adrift, not in a relationship anymore. He meets Salma hayek Pinault, and the Pinault is, uh, that's because she's married to some French billionaire. Um, She's this wealthy socialite who's just gone through a divorce. They have a night of torrid passion, and then she decides to bring him to London to take over this kind of stuffy stage play. And revitalise it in his own way, which essentially means bringing in a lot of kind of strippers and dancers to jazz it all up. It's interesting because, I mean, the first the first act of this film is their kind of sexual chemistry and their kind of, like, getting together and all the rest of it. And it's brilliant because, I mean, A, they're both very, very attractive people. The way that Steven Soderbergh directs it is very, very potent. Like, there's lots of colour and music and editing. And then much of the second half is essentially them trying to put this stage show together and the tension and the romantic kind of story is put to one side. And then the third act, it kind of tries to mesh the two together and it doesn't really work. But in saying that, I mean, you know, Channing Tatum, this is, I think, one of his best roles, probably his best role he'll ever do. Salma Hayek-Pinnault, you know, she's known for being this very kind of smouldering presence on screen. Like you look back all the way to Desperado or something, or even into something like Frida. She has that screen presence and it really works for her here. And Steven Soderbergh, like he's one of these directors that, you know, he's always really, really interested in process. Like if you go back and look at, say, Ocean's trilogy, it's all about how they're going to make the heist happen. And then this here, it's like, how do they make the stage show happen? It's just a shame that he doesn't commit to the initial premise, the initial tease, if you like, and instead kind of. Tries to do a bait and switch. But it's good fun though. I mean, I enjoyed it.
0: And then we have Women Talking. And this is a movie which has got a real all star cast. Yeah. Jesse Buckley, Claire Foy, Frances McDormand is in it, and Rooney Mara. Let's hear a clip.
1: What if the men who are in prison are not guilty? Mother. Oh, yeah,
0: child. Are you asking each shush. We caught one of them. I saw him, but only one. Yes, only one, but he named the others. But what if he was
1: lying? We must consider this.
0: No, no, that is not our responsibility because we aren't in charge of whether or not they are punished. We know that we've been attacked by men, not by ghosts or Satan, as we were led to believe for so long. We know that we've not imagined these attacks, that we were made unconscious with cow tranquilizer. We know that we are bruised, and infected, and pregnant, and terrified, and insane, and some of us are dead. We know that we must protect our children regardless of who is guilty. Jesse Brooklyn clarify there what's this all about
1: So this is set inside a Mennonite colony which is a kind of like Quakers they you know very very strict religious uh, community as you heard there all the women were essentially uh subjected to this kind of campaign of rape by their husbands where they were fed cow cow tranquilizer. Um, a lot of the men were taken off to uh, prison by the police. Some of them now being bailed and on their way back. And essentially what the story is is the women convene a kind of like a, a moot which is sort of like basically like a, a basic council where they decide they're either going to stay and fight their husbands and fight this or they're going to get in their carts and leave. And it's really kind of like a basic form of democracy where they'll, you know, some people will take notes and other people will ki- kind of put present um, different arguments. As I was, I mean, my understanding of this is is that it was based on a true story, but this is kind of like a work of imagination, if you like. But I think it's really interesting in the sense of, it's really a story about me too and the idea of like women talking to each other and kind of sharing their stories and then deciding what they're going to do. Like women who have been denied agency for so long have now been given it. What will they do with it? And I mean that cast like you hear it like Frances McDormand, uh, Claire Foy, Jessie Buckley, they're all really, really good actors who are able to you know, sustained dialogue in such a way that it is interesting and really kind of dark and thrilling and disturbing. It kind of reminds me a bit of like a few good men, almost. You know, like a courtroom drama kind of thing. So, yeah.
0: Okay, twenty-five years since Titanic was first released. Let's hear a little bit of Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet as Jack and Rose. Now hold on to the railing. Keep your eyes closed. Don't pee. I'm not.
1: Hold on. Hold on. Keep your eyes closed. <laughs> Do you trust me? I trust you.
0: one of the iconic scenes, I suppose, from Titanic, which I suppose at this stage, re-released for 25th anniversary. But hasn't everybody seen Titanic?
1: Yeah, pretty much. Um, Is it worth seeing again, though? I would argue, yes. I mean, it's been remastered. James Cameron has looked over at the remastering of it. It's in 3D. I think if you've never seen it in a cinema, this is the best way to see it because it was intended for the cinema. I mean, most of the people of my generation that would have seen it, they would have either seen it on like a grainy VHS or somebody copied it, maybe a DVD later on or whatever. But yeah, if you've never seen it in a cinema, this is the time to go see it. And yeah, you're right. I think, I don't know anybody that hasn't seen it, bar myself. What do you mean? <laughs> I've never seen, I I can't believe I'm admitting this live on air. I've never seen Titanic from start to finish. I've seen so many clips of it. I feel like if I was to watch it, I'd know all ever, the beats in sequence. It's okay, hang on
0: a second. You were probably a child at the time it was brought out.
1: Uh, yeah, know. I think I was like about twelve years old or something like that. Okay, yeah. so
0: maybe you wouldn't have gone to see it. Although even at that stage, this Titanic thing—it was so much. Oh, it was I everywhere. It was everywhere at the I time. I even I'm remember.
1: Like, I even remember. Today FM used to play the talky version of My Heart Will Go On, which was essentially like clips from the film interspersed with the song. That was a thing people might remember that. But yeah, I don't know. I just—it's one of those things. i like. I don't know I've never gotten around to it and I think I've seen so much of it from clips I just feel like I don't need to see it Like,
0: Okay, let's hear a little bit of the music of the late Bert Bacharach a Raindrops keep falling on the hill But that doesn't mean my eyes will soon be turning red Crying's not for me Cause I'm never gonna stop the rain by complaining Because I'm free
1: in me And that's from what movie? Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid I love... Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid is probably on my all-time top ten list and it's interesting the, the song that you used um, there's another song that's on that, on that uh, soundtrack it's called Not Going Home Anymore And, you know, when you think of, like, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, you think of, obviously, you know, Redford and Newman, you know, at the height of their power and they're all really cool and slick and, you know, got all William Goldman's one-liners and, you know you know, the fall will kill you. And, you know, when I say to go somewhere like Bolivia, let's go to somewhere like Bolivia and the explosions and all the rest of it. But if you actually sit down and watch that film from start to finish, it's a really sad film because it's essentially the end of an era. It's these two outlaws that are on the run that have been literally chased to the end of the earth and they can't go home anymore. And there's this beautiful piece of music that plays over the open and end credits. And again, it's called Not Going Home Anymore. And I think it really captures that kind of Melancholy that's at the soul of the film that Burt Bacharach got so well that people tend to ignore, you know. But it's gorgeous, like, and his soundtracks have, I mean, even something like Austin Powers, you know, that sort of way. He's in that and he's brilliant okay, in
0: it. Okay, for 20 seconds, do we really need another Toy Story movie?
1: No, but Disney are going to force it on us anyway, so they've announced that they have uh, Toy Story 5 in action. I mean, you know, Toy Story 4, I didn't think it was needed. It was good, I enjoyed it, but I don't think we needed it. I mean, Toy Story 3 ended on such a beautiful note. You know, childhood left behind, but here we are in Toy Story 5. I don't know, I'm sceptical. Thank you very much, Brian Lloyd from entertainment.ie. The
0: Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30.